God bless you. Welcome to Sovereign Grace Baptist Church, everyone. Glad you all are here. Turn with me, please, to the Gospel of Matthew 15 as we continue in this wonderful Gospel. But following the previous passage, the previous passage we looked at, the first nine verses of Matthew 15, we'll continue the narrative here in verses 10 through 20. But that previous passage concerned the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the scribes over Jesus' disciples. And, and it was uh, the conflict, if you remember, was over the piety of washing of hands. Now, again, I encourage all the teenagers and the children in the room, when mama says, wash the hands, don't go to this passage and say, Jesus said, washing of hands is not... I'm saying this because I apparently have gotten in trouble with some mothers here recently because apparently I influence their children and they do things that I say and their mamas come to me and say, Pastor Bryant, they did what you... Anyway, we won't... Have I, hopefully I've redeemed myself, moms. Wash your hands. But that was the, that was the tension there in the first nine verses. And, and the crowds present at this encounter between Jesus and the Pharisees, it, it needed clarify. Jesus had to turn to this crowd to clarify to them what was happening. He needed to clarify to them the greater spiritual point from our Lord. And that's what we're going to look at today. Just as a refresher, let's remember the Pharisees were more concerned about pious appearances than the true spirit of the law. If you remember, that was their downfall. They, they took the concept of washing, which is a very biblical concept, and they took it much further than God's law intended. And that was where the problem was. They, they Rather than cleaning the inner man or cleaning the inner soul, the Pharisees took the commands of cleanliness in the Old Testament to an unintended end. And Jesus was correcting them there. Wherever they went, these blind leaders wanted to be seen as obedient to the law, and they washed their hands, not for sanitation purposes, but to be seen as pious. And this is where Jesus corrects them, because in their piety, they felt that they had the answers. And Jesus said, you've missed the point. Now, in verses 10 through 20, Jesus addresses the greater spiritual truth here of the cleanliness of the soul, the cleanliness of the heart. What is the true nature of cleanliness in the gospel? What is the true aspect of cleansing the soul from sin? And how does one avoid polluting the soul? Jesus gives glorious wisdom here in this passage. So if you're able to stand with me, let's stand in reverence for the reading of God's word. Matthew 15, beginning in verse 10. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Verse 13, he answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone, they are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit, verse 15. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, 
and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we we pause at the reading of your word and we do ask that you would speak to us boldly now. The words of your son are very important, even now, more so now than ever before. And so God, I pray that you would cause us to see the truth of your word, that you would cause us to hear that it is the heart, the inner self, the, the very being of who we are that defines whether we are in Christ or we are outside of Christ. And so God, I pray that you would use this day to search our hearts, that you would reveal to us in our inner self exactly who we are in relation to you because your son teaches us the truth here. Cause us not to miss the main point. Cause us not to miss the truth. So Lord, use this time for your glory and speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please have a seat. Now, I know that many people who worship clean food, y'all like clean food? I like clean food. I like fresh food. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I like leftovers. Don't get me wrong. But there does come a point where the leftovers are no longer edible. If they've been in the refrigerator more than so many days, they've got green fuzz on them. I would stay away from it. Clean food is important. Okay. Now, I also know people who obsess over whether the foods they eat or the foods they buy are, are they genetically modified? And now the new buzzword is bioengineered. You know, that's the new buzzword, bioengineered food. Uh, or whether the food purchased came from a family owned organic farm of less than 20 acres and that food was processed or never processed at least uh, at the source by all of their homeschool kids. And the homeschool kids, the family has to have at least seven kids on the farm to be truly spiritually healthy. And the food that they produce is the only food that you can now eat. Or the food has to be keto friendly or we're all going to die. You see how... So we can look at this text and we can say, I'm so glad y'all are laughing. See, now visitors, this congregation doesn't laugh at my jokes, so today something must be resonating. You see the extremes we can go on the cleanliness of our food. You see the point here. We can get so wrapped up in food and the rituals of food and get so tied up in these things, we can actually become Pharisees here. Now, please don't mistake my words. I think it's wise and it's biblical and healthy to care for our bodies and that we should eat well and that we should exercise well and we should sleep well and all that. All of that is very biblical. All of that is wise. All of that is important. But let's be honest. The worship of the right food and the right health program has become a religion on its own and it's infected the church. Likewise, in this passage, not only did the Pharisees and the scribes, they worship their own piety concerning rules for clean food and clean hands. Jesus' disciples, they worried about the opinion of these false teachers. They worried about it. So here in Matthew 15, Jesus continues his instruction to the people, showing them the false leadership of these Pharisees. They were blind. These Pharisees, if you remember back in verse 1 of, of Matthew 15, where were they from? They were from Jerusalem. 
They weren't just any Pharisees. They were the ones from Jerusalem who had all the answers. And even Jesus' disciples, Peter raises the question, they were offended at you, Jesus. The blind leading the blind, and Jesus needs to expose them. And Jesus makes it clear that the blind leadership of these pious men did more damage to the souls of men because of their emphasis on the outward washing and their pious rituals that they they actually peddled these ideas to the people and Jesus catches them up on it. You're, you're wrong. He's pointing out their error here. Now let's look here at verse 10. Now remember, this is continuing the, the interaction between the Pharisees and the scribes. And now Jesus turns from these Pharisees and scribes and looks at the crowds who were nearby. Verse 10. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. I mean, that sounds pretty simple. Sounds pretty straightforward, doesn't it? So the focus of this passage has less to do with our own personal journey here. we got to remember, this passage has been taught many times about how we live the Christian life. And it, there is a lot of that there. But if we're not careful, we take this text and we make it all about us. I think there's a deeper spiritual truth here. That still affects our Christian life, still affects us. But the point of this passage is not how do I live a holy moral life. The passage here, the focus here has less to do with our own personal journey with Christ and it has more to do with the truth of the hearts of the bad leadership here that also infects our hearts. The warning from Jesus is to watch the words that come from these pious religious leaders because these words from them will will reveal the intention of the heart of these men. And if we're not careful, the polluted hearts of the Pharisees and their words that come from them will then infect and pollute your heart as well. You see that there too? If the word, and what Jesus is warning us here is that if the words from any religious teacher do not align with the righteousness of God, then the hearts of those religious leaders do not align with the righteousness of God. Look here in verse 10 and 11. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Very wise words from our Savior. But if we stop only here, we may think, well, Jesus is teaching us that we can eat whatever we want and we can do whatever we want because it's not the outward stuff alone that is the problem. It's our heart. So if my heart is in the right place, it doesn't matter what is on the outside. That's not what Jesus is saying here, is it? Notice the transition from the encounter with the Pharisees to the people. Now, in some translations, in verse 10, speaks about Jesus turns to the multitudes or the great crowds. It's as if Jesus turns from the closed-minded, the spiritually blind Pharisees, the deaf to the truth, He turns from those closed-minded blind people to, and he turns his attention to the spiritually hungry. He turns his attention to the ones who are teachable. This was a teaching moment that Jesus takes advantage of. In verse 12, 
Here's the reaction to what Jesus said about it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Verse 12, then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? That's an interesting point, isn't it? Jesus has just spoken truth here, and the, and the disciples are more worried about the opinion of the Pharisees, which I think is an indicator of what Jesus' point was. The words from these Pharisees will infect you and pollute you because their hearts are not in alignment with our Lord. Their words are not righteous as God is righteous because their hearts are not righteous as God is righteous. Yet you notice, even the disciples, they were more interested in the words from these Pharisees and their opinions. What Peter and the disciples say here helps us to understand the meaning of what Jesus was teaching there in verse 11. The Pharisees focus on what goes in. If the food is clean, then the heart will be clean. If the food is unclean, then the heart will be unclean. If the hands holding the morsels of food are clean, then the food is clean. If the hands holding the food are unclean, then the food will be unclean. That's all the Pharisees worried about. And I want to emphasize one more time before I'm in trouble. Children, wash your hands. Because if your hands are dirty, your food will be dirty, and that you don't want that either. But, see, the Pharisees took this to a religious end. They, they were more interested in the outward rituals than they were about the truth. And Jesus is pointing out the danger here. Jesus points out an important spiritual point in the kingdom of heaven. He reveals that it is not what goes in that corrupts, but actually what comes out that reveals the corruption that is already there. Verse 18, I think, explains this very directly. Let's, I mean, you can drop down there to verse 18. We'll bounce back up. But in verse 18, Jesus says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. That implies that what comes out of our mouths, what we speak, reveals what is already present within. That's the point that Jesus is making. In other words, the corruption of the heart is the source of the words that come through the lips. And more importantly here with these Pharisees, they were teachers of the law. And what the words they spoke revealed the health of their heart. Was their heart healthy? Was their heart corrupt? Listen to their words. And don't worry about the words as much as you worry about the origin of the words. Worry about the heart of these men. This is a general statement here that pollution of the heart does not come from without into man, but that the fountain of corruption is concealed within our hearts. The hearts of all men, the hearts of all women are corrupt, therefore producing corrupt speech and corrupt teaching. That's what Jesus is getting at here. The response of Peter and the other disciples indicates a missed vision of both the importance of these Pharisees and scribes and the sovereign authority of their Lord Jesus Christ. The, think about this. These disciples, these students of Jesus, they expressed their fear of approval. They were more worried about the approval of the Pharisees than they were about the truth that Jesus was teaching. What does that reveal about the heart? 
Was their heart really listening to their Lord? Was their heart literally loyal and loving toward their master, teacher, Lord, Jesus Christ? Or were they split in the devotion between the religious orders of the Pharisees and their Lord? That reveal, even, even their words here in, in verse uh, 12, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying, those words reveal the condition of the heart of these disciples? And that's what Jesus had to address. Think about this, though. These, these students of Jesus, they express their fear of approval. They say, we should not offend these people, Jesus, after all. And here is, here's the point, too. We still do this today. Oh, we don't want to offend. So let's just get along. I mean, think about this. After all, who are we to say that the ideas or the beliefs of anyone are wrong? You see, this is nothing new. We do it here as well. It's called relativism, folks. You ever heard that term? Who are we to question somebody's belief system? We don't challenge them. Who do we know? I mean, that's what these, that's what these disciples were saying in verse 12. Oh, Jesus, the Pharisees were offended. And Jesus doesn't let that lay. <laughs> Good. Let him be offended, basically. That's what he said. Good. Or we're, hold to the truth. Now, here's the problem. If, if nobody's ideas or beliefs are ever wrong, then we'll never get anywhere. We'll miss the truth of the gospel. You know, we, we fall into this idea, we fall into this trap. Let's all just get along. If we're studying the Bible together in a group, and people have different opinions or different feelings, uh, ideas about the text, oh, we can't offend. But if somebody brings out an idea in the text that is clearly unbiblical and, and not in alignment with the gospel, we must say something. Amen? Amen? Because if you don't, then those who, the, the wrong ideas will take charge and take over eventually because, oh, we don't want to offend. And Jesus is addressing this. You know, the relativism of our day is no different than what these disciples were worried about. When it comes to interpretation of Scripture or understanding biblical doctrine, we cannot hush the truth simply over the fear of telling someone else that they are wrong and offending them. We can't do that. So let's drop down here to verse 13. Here's Jesus' response to the, his disciples about, hey, Jesus, we offended the Pharisees here. Let's be careful. Look at what Jesus says here in verse 13. He answered, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Now that's an interesting response. It's, it's, it's an interesting one. And verse 13 is a very controversial verse in this passage. Because it has opened up a can of worms in the history of theological ideas. What is Jesus meaning here? Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Remember, that's in response to the disciples and their fear of offense. Jesus' answer to this fear of his disciples, it's a direct reference to the sovereignty of God the Father over all persons, over all ideas in this world. That's what verse 13 is saying. My Father in heaven, our Father in heaven, is sovereign over every thought, every word, everything planted in this world. 
It is a mistaken assumption of this verse 13 that all inventions of men, all creativity of the human culture and religion that has not proceeded from the mouth of God. Some have taken this verse to say that we have to root it up and cast it away in the fire of eternal damnation because Jesus says that. That's not what he says here, though. Jesus speaks of every plant as a reference to every man. And God has planted Jesus calms the fears of his disciples by reminding them of the eternal destiny that awaits these false teachers. So what Jesus is saying here in verse 13, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. In other words, don't be afraid of these Pharisees. Don't be offended of these Pharisees. They are false teachers. In the end, my father has it all worked out. He will root out the false teachers. He will root out these heresies of the Pharisees, you don't worry about it. That's basically what he's saying here in verse 13. You see, the thing about Jesus, he's calming the fears of his, of his, of his students. He's reminding them that these proudful and arrogant teachers who falsely proclaim a truth that is not God's truth, God himself did not say these words, nor did God himself put these words in place that these Pharisees are touting. And if God did not put these words in the mouths of these false teachers, why are you worried about it? You notice that in verse 13? He answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. In other words, The words of sinful men will come from hearts of sinful men. They did not come from God. So why are you so worried about it? God's got it all figured out in the end. He's not saying be passive and whatever anybody says is okay. He's saying the words will be revealed as either from God or not from God. And our father in heaven is sovereign over it all. And he will uproot what is not of him. You see? The false teachers here will face God's eternal wrath by the fact that God in his sovereignty, he saves whom he will save and he will allow damnation for those who dig their own graves and set up their own destruction. And these Pharisees and these false teachers were setting up their own destruction out of their own self-centered, pious teachings. By distorting God's word on washings, these Pharisees were taking the truth of God's word and distorting it for their own purposes, and none of that was from God. Here, now, in a good Reformed church, we have to cite John Calvin every now and then. Y'all ready? (laughs) Because if John Calvin said it, it must be true. Here's what John Calvin helps us understand here about this, even this verse here. He says, now as salvation depends solely on the election of God, the reprobate must perish. Now, who are the reprobates in this context? The Pharisees and the scribes, the false teachers. In whatever, okay, let me back up. The reprobate must perish in whatever way this may be affected, not that they are innocent and free from all blame when God destroys them, but because by their own malice, they turn to their destruction, all that is offered to them, however salutary it may be. To those who willingly perish, the gospel thus becomes, as Paul assures us, the savor of death unto death. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. 
He continues, for though it is offered to all for salvation, it does not yield this fruit to any but God's elect. So in other words, the truth of the gospel, God's truth, that these Pharisees twist, Jesus is saying, God is sovereign over it all. And these are not his words. So why be offended or worried that these Pharisees are offended? You see, that's really what's happening here. What these false teachers plant, and here's the dangerous part. Jesus is, this is why Jesus turned from the Pharisees and the scribes to now teach the crowds. What these false teachers plant in the minds of the weak and the minds of the sheepish has no root in God's truth. Now, that's the danger that these Pharisees will be condemned for and judged for, that their words of authority will then corrupt the minds of those who are weak, and they will be dragged into destruction and judgment along with them. This is why Jesus is so passionate to turn to the crowds, to correct them. This is what these Pharisees say, but Jesus is saying, hear me instead. It's a warning to those in the crowds that eternal death and destruction awaits these Pharisees, not because God judges unfairly. That's the thing that a lot of people get wrapped up in. Oh, how can God judge people for what they say? God is just. And if God does not save a soul, if God does not bring someone to salvation, it's not because God does not want them. It's because that person does not want God. And a just God must condemn. That's what he's saying here about these Pharisees and about these scribes. So when we get, and and rightly so, we can get all upset about God is not fair by saving some and not saving others. God is always fair. He's always just. And if a soul is condemned, it's not because God is unfair. It's because God is just and he is holy. You think here, the, the, what about the, the pride and the status of these Pharisees and the scribes? You got to imagine their status here, their pride and their achievements. That's what carried them. Look at us. We're from Jerusalem. You must hear me. That was their attitude. And this attitude of these scribes and these Pharisees actually, they built for themselves a great reputation. But you have to think here that, that these, if you imagine in verse 13, the imagery of planting things, these scribes and these Pharisees, they built themselves up as great trees that God himself did not plant. They planted themselves in this status. In essence, these, these men of learned religious ideas, they, they acquired celebrity and fame at the expense of the truth of the gospel. They worshipped their piety. They were guilty and culpable of their sin, and God would pluck up what they planted, not what God planted, and he will toss it into the eternal fire. Because what God plants into the hearts of men will never be uprooted by satanic devilish teaching. What Jesus is teaching here should be trusted more than what the Pharisees taught. That's what verse 13 is helping us see. 
Because the words of these Pharisees will be something that the Lord will rip out because he didn't plant it. It was planted out of corruption. Now, let's look here at verse 14. Jesus further goes on here responding to his disciples. He says, let them alone. These Pharisees, they are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Now, we talked about something like this this morning in our membership class, and I've, we've mentioned it here in the church often. We can be very, uh, we can be very uh, eager to hunt down heresies, can't we? We want to defend the truth of the gospel at all costs to the point that we're going to look for heresies at every turn. Anybody guilty of that? <laughs> that becomes the gospel if you're not careful. That becomes your gospel. What Jesus is saying here in verse 14, okay, you know what? There are blind teachers out there and they're leading others who will fall into the pit with them. Where's the compassion for the people being led astray? In other words, there are going to be false teachers who are blind to the truth and they are going to lead others with them. And Jesus is saying here in 14, don't really worry about these Pharisees. They're blind guides. And you know that they are blind guides. You know they're heretics because in verse 14, they lay, the blind lead the blind and both will fall into a pit. Now, Jesus is not saying they have no hope. Jesus is not saying they have no, no salvation possible. He's saying, don't be so worried about the opinions of these false teachers because really what they're doing is they're leading blind people with them into the pit. In other words, don't, don't let that consume you. Don't be a heresy hunter and let that consume your, your joy. You see that? Be on guard for heresy. Be on guard for it at all costs because the gospel is necessary to defend and to guard. But do not let the false teachings of heresies consume you. Don't be afraid that you offend them. He says, let them alone. Jesus, he, he's actually comforting his disciples by saying, let them alone. Not to worry about those who are offended by the gospel. The very nature of the gospel is to offend those who are worldly and have a sinful heart. If the gospel did not offend them, then the gospel's not doing its job. Christ is the stone of offense. That's what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, that Christ is the stone of offense. And these haughty and prideful Pharisees were the genuine authors of offense. And Jesus places the right perspective here. No, it's the Pharisees who are offending God. Don't worry about offending them. They've already offended our Father in heaven. <laughs> you see what he's saying there? Now, now we cannot misinterpret the lesson of this interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees. We, we cannot misinterpret the lesson that Jesus has for the many who were there that he was talking to. This crowd of people who came to listen to Jesus, the great teacher, also needed to learn a lesson about humility and surrender to God's authority over all things, even his authority over these Pharisees. And God's authority even over our hearts and God's authority over our minds. The Pharisees and the scribes, let's not mistake, they rightly deserve judgment and correction here, don't they? They deserved it. Let's not mistake this fact. Jesus is in the right here to judge 
the false teaching, these blind teachers leading the blind. He's, he's very justified in judging them. It's right that Jesus calls them out as blind guides leading the blind into an eternal pit of destruction and torment. But, but, but this lesson is also directed to the crowd. Let's not forget that. It's directed to the crowd. It's also directed to Jesus' 12 disciples. And so let's look here in verses 16 and following. Let's close this down. Verse 15, Peter said to him, explain the parable to us in verse 16. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. I mean, Jesus is making a pretty important point here. I mean, he looks at Peter and his disciples in verse 15 and says, are you still without understanding, folks? Here, I've been teaching you, and here's the lesson. Pay attention. So Jesus makes the lesson very plain. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? The illustration's pretty clear here. Do we need to go into details? I mean, the issue of washing hands, the issue of eating unclean foods is as important as what humans expel from their bodies every day. That's basically what Jesus is saying. In other words, you're so caught up and worried about this false idea that here Jesus is basically saying, here's what, here's how valuable that is. I mean, all the Pharisees were worried about, and it seems that the disciples, Peter and the twelve there, and all the others were also worried about it. All of this that we're worried about is as valuable as what we expel from our body. That's how valuable this worry is. That's what Jesus is saying. In other words, Peter and the disciples and the Pharisees all worry about the wrong thing. Verse 19. Now, lest we take away from this parable about the defilement of the heart, that only the Pharisees and the scribes are the guilty party here. Jesus is more directly speaking to the state of depravity for all mankind, all humanity. Our hearts are corrupt. Our hearts are polluted. I think that's the bigger picture here because we can look at this story, we can look at this context, this interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees and the scribes, and we can read that with the false idea of, that's not me. The Pharisees and the scribes, they have a polluted heart. Oh, but my heart is clean. Now, in Jesus Christ, it is. But guess what? We're still living in a fallen world. We're still struggling with this flesh. So out of the heart comes corruption. If we take away from this lesson that these Pharisees and scribes were corrupt and evil men, and rightly we can do that, we can easily and justifiably say that, we also, by not including ourselves in that statement, we're inferring that we are not corrupt and we are not evil. Just be careful. The statement, if we say those Pharisees and scribes, oh, they were blind teachers and they spoke words that showed their corrupt hearts, may also imply that we are not blind or corrupt because we're trying to turn the attention on to these Pharisees. We may also take away the statement that if only I avoid corrupt things, if I avoid corruption from the outside, then my heart will remain pure. 
We could take that idea from this, but I think we're missing the bigger point. If the, if the less, if the point of this lesson is avoid all outside corruption and therefore your hearts will remain pure, we're missing the idea that Jesus said it's not from the outside in that corrupts, it's from the inside out that reveals the already existing corruption. So let's not get so worried about what goes in as much as we worried about what's already there. Now that does not open up the Pandora's box, if you will, of we can eat whatever we want and we can watch whatever we want and we can consume whatever we want. And Jesus says, none of that will corrupt our hearts. Yes, it will. That's all I got to say. <laughs> I mean, think about this. This text is not teaching us that if we avoid all corruption, then our hearts will remain pure. Yes, our hearts will be corrupted by whatever we consume. Now, in our modern day context, we're not worried so much about corrupt food as much as I think we need to be more worried about corrupt ideas and corrupt worldviews. Those will pollute the heart, but why do they pollute the heart? Because where is the origin of those corrupt ideas and where is the origin of those corrupt worldviews? They come from a corrupt heart of someone else. Jesus is pointing out the corrupt nature of all human hearts and he's warning the innocent in the crowd who are being led astray by these Pharisees exactly what they're hearing from these false teachers, the corrupt words from these false teachers. He's warning them that their religious piety and rituals are corrupt because it's coming from corrupt hearts. Verse 18, Jesus says this, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. The point of Jesus' words here is what comes out of the heart, not what goes into it. The heart is corrupt even without corrupt things going into it. If we add corrupt ideas into our heart, we're just adding to the corruption. It's already there. Even if we consume corrupt ideas and corrupt images and corrupt ideologies, the origin of all these things, what did I say, comes from another corrupt human heart or another group of corrupt hearts. None of us are void of corruption of the heart. Now y'all are getting quiet. Hard to hear, isn't it? The big point from Jesus here, the main point of this passage, I don't want us to miss it, is that Jesus alone is pure of heart and he draws all corrupt hearts to him. That's, I think, the bigger idea in this text. It's not how do I live a cleaner life, which is still a good thing to do. But I think the bigger point of this text here that Jesus is making clear is that Jesus alone is pure of heart and he draws all of us, all of our corrupt hearts to him. The point of this passage is not merely to avoid all corruption. The point is, well, avoid all corruption. Still do that. That's not the main lesson here. We still should avoid all corruption. And Jesus has, and by, by teaching about the purity that he alone has, He's teaching the people he's talking to to avoid the corruption of the Pharisees. But he's drawing them to himself as the answer. The point of this passage is that all human hearts are corrupt and these Pharisees and scribes are exhibiting that. 
The only things that come from our hearts are exactly what Jesus speaks truthfully here in verses 18 through 19. So you want to know what comes from the heart? This is the only thing that the human heart can give. Verse 19, for out of the heart comes what? Evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Every one of us are guilty of those things. So for us, and yet, yet the Pharisees and scribes are clearly guilty and worthy of condemnation, but so are we. The only thing that Jesus is, and these are the words of Jesus in verse 18 and 19. The words of our Savior himself tell us the things that come from the heart, the sinful heart, are all of these corrupt, vile things. All of these things are defiled. They are what the sinful human heart is made of because we're fallen from grace. Although the Pharisees and the scribes, they spoke false truths, they they emphasized religious piety, all who heard Jesus' words here that day in the crowd, and even all of us here who are coming here to worship and hearing the same words today, we all have evil thoughts. We all desire murder of those we hate. You may not do it, but you may think it. You may, we commit adultery in our hearts. We may not actually live it out, but boy, how many of us have had corrupt thoughts. We may have immoral thinking. We we may steal from others. And you say, well, I've never stolen anything. Have you ever stolen time? You've stolen time from our Lord? You've stolen time from your employer? Have you stolen time from your family? We're all thieves. We lie about one another. We gossip about one another. Our hearts are corrupt and defiled. And we, we need a sinless Savior to purify our hearts so that our words and actions will be purified. It's the only way for the purification of our words and actions to be pure is that our hearts must be purified. The only way for that to occur, and Jesus is teaching us this very clearly in verse 20, these, he's saying here in this whole passage, verses 10 through 20, he's basically saying the only way, the only hope for any of you, the Pharisees, the scribes, and he's talking to the crowds too, the only hope that you have is me. The only hope that you have, Jesus is saying, is me. I'm here to redeem you. And the only way that happens is to purify the heart. So as we're closing here, I mean, how do we take this home? I mean, it's one of these passages that really can make us sad. We can go out of here thinking, boy, that was a fun day at church, wasn't it? But we cannot ignore what Jesus is teaching us here. As Nathan has rightly led us in worship today, the the genuine heart of worship is more important than the form of worship. Likewise, the genuine heart of the Christian is more important than the form of how we live it. Because if the heart is purified by Christ, then it will be lived correctly. If the heart is purified by our Savior, then the words will be pure. If the heart of the Christian is purified by our Savior Jesus Christ, then our actions will be pure. 
We're still in a fallen, sinful existence, but we have been redeemed by a perfect, pure-hearted Savior, haven't we? That's what we embrace. That's where our faith turns. That's where our hearts lie. Christ in His genuinely redeemed, His genuinely converted people, their words will be pure. Their hearts will be pure. Their actions will be pure. Has nothing to do with what we do on our own. Has nothing to do with a a list of moral actions that we must obey. Has everything to do with the purity of the heart. Let's pray. Father God, we do... We stand here before you as, as we have heard you speak to us in your word. Your son, Jesus Christ, makes a very clear point. That in Jesus alone, in him alone, is the possibility of purity of heart. Jesus alone, your son, is the only one who's ever had a pure heart. And he draws us all to him. Because we're all corrupt. I pray, God, that you would protect us from the corruption of false teachings, that you would corrupt, that you would protect us from the corruption of this world. The ideas of this world will pollute us if we're not careful. And so, God, we, we are all influenced by this fallen world. And I pray for your guidance. I pray for your protection over us. I pray that your son, Jesus Christ, the spirit of your son would purify us and purge us of these corrupt ideas, these corrupt thoughts, these corrupt, this corrupt spirit. We depend on you on that. So God, please make us into the people that you deserve. We can't do it. I pray, God, you would purge us of all corruption and pollution. Make our spirits clean. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.